Hello everybody, welcome back into Taking Heat, episode number 8. It's been a minute that we did have an upload last week, but it was a little bit of an older episode. If you, In case you missed it, there were some situations. I had some issues exporting the audio, as well as I actually ended up catching COVID-19 over the past week. So, we had to take a little bit of a break, a little bit of a hiatus here, but we are back. Trevor Tidwell has joined us. He's no longer a special guest because he's joined us again. So, it is myself, Cameron Woolwine, in the top left, Trevor Tidwell in the bottom left, and Logan Porter in the bottom right. This week's episode title is the most influential athlete in their respective sport in sports history. Which athletes, you know, did the most for their sport, advanced it towards the towards what we see it as now, and what athlete just did the most for their sport in, in, in general. So, as always, if you like what you hear, be sure to check us out both on the YouTube channel if you're watching there, Nugget Station 21, or you can check us out on Spotify at Taking Heat. Be sure to check those out. Follow the again, subscribe to the YouTube channel, follow the podcast, like the video, self-promotion stuff, all that good stuff. So as we bring as I bring in the rest of my panelists here, uh, nice night here, August 17th on a Wednesday is when we're recording this. How y'all how y'all doing tonight? Feeling good on a Wednesday. <laughs> Feeling good, trying to, you know, this weather was kind of came out of nowhere, sir. Well, I say out of nowhere, it's been raining all week. I hate it. <laughs> uh, the weather's oh, been pretty bad recently, but one good thing is is that uh, preseason football is finally here, so we get to watch our favorite teams. And you know, I've been talking about it, but football season's coming up. We should all be excited for that. One of. Um, I want to bring this up real quick since we talk about uh, we've talked about refer, uh, refereeing in the past. Um, we've specifically talked about baseball refereeing. I saw another uh, incident with Angel Hernandez, um, <laughs> the man, the myth, the legend. Yeah, yeah. Um, another. It was actually another uh, uh, video that was captured on uh, one of John Boy's recent videos. So I thought that was interesting and topical. <laughs> yeah, Angel Hernandez is the big name. Uh, the one of the current uh, MLB umpires who notoriously gets some bad calls. One of the I'll go ahead and say I mean just as a little bit of a plug here, if you haven't checked out John Boy's YouTube channel, John Boy Media, he is a great source of baseball knowledge. Be sure to go check him out. And yeah, Angel Hernandez, notorious, notoriously one of if not the worst umpire in Major League Baseball. I think he's claimed that title ever since Joe West retired. But Angel Hernandez, by far. You know, the biggest name in umpiring. And they always say, if they know your name as an umpire and it's not like Ed, Ed Hockey Lee for your giant biceps, it is a bad thing. And that's exactly what it is for Angel Hernandez. But with that being said, we're going to go ahead and hop right into the show. Once again, be sure to check us out on Spotify and YouTube. Um, also, a heads up for YouTube viewers. I normally have my webcam up. It's giving me issues this week. I'm not going to have it. So I am in the top right. Um, I know it's a little bit confusing with just the Discord pictures, but hopefully we'll have that back up and operational starting next week. But I have our wheel here that's going to decide who will be going first. And going first for the most influential athlete to their sport, it will be Logan. Logan leads us off here for Episode 8. Logan, the floor is yours. Right on, right on. So I, I want to start this off with an honorable mention, okay? Because uh, earlier today... Um, when I was talking to my mother, she asked me what we were doing for the podcast this week. And I told her the episode or title. Um, and she actually gave me what her pick would be. So, um, 
the, the honorary pick, my mother has chosen Billie Jean King for women's tennis. Um, she inspired my mom and loved, and she loves tennis. So, <laughs> but uh, my pick actually today will be Wayne Gretzky for hockey. Okay, so reason I pick Wayne Gretzky is because most, like even the most casual of sports fans. If they know what hockey is, they've probably heard of Wayne Gretzky. I before I even knew anything about hockey, like I didn't even know how many how much time periods were. I didn't know anything about how many players were on the on the ice at a time. I I knew who Wayne Gretzky was. It was just it's just a name that's synonymous with hockey. Um give you a little bit a bit about Wayne Gretzky himself. He played for 20 seasons from 1978 to 1999. In those 20 seasons, nine of them he was awarded the MVP. Uh, when he was uh, – something interesting that I didn't know, actually. When he retired, he held or shared 61 NHL records. And as of this previous season, he still holds or shares 59 of those records. Th he lost three of them, and he actually gained a new one in the, uh, the mid-2000s, mid yeah. Um. So that's crazy to think about. <laughs> um, uh, uh, some of his accomplishments. Uh, he's the only player to ever reach uh, 2,000 career points. Um, and it's over 3,000 if you include the playoffs. Um, his total career points in the regular season is 2,857. That is goals scored plus assists. Which means that... Um, you know that's that's just a crazy amount. Uh, the person in second place has one thousand nine hundred and twenty-one. That's almost a thousand more less points than Wayne Gretzky has in his entire career. Um, and with that being said, he actually Wayne Gretzky actually has more career assists than any other player has points in the entirety of the NHL. Um, so that's I mean that's crazy to think about how how often does that happen in any other sport. Um, and then some other things about him. He's a 10-time scoring champion, so out of 20 seasons, half of them he was the scoring champion, four-time Stanley Cup champion, uh, and for 15 years he was in NHL uh, either all-first team or all-second team. So just a lot of greatness coming out of Wayne Gretzky in general. Um, when he retired in 1999, they actually waived the – retirement waiting period so usually you have to wait three years after you retire before you can go into the hall of fame they waived it for him and he just went straight into the hall of fame that year um and surprisingly that's actually happened 10 times in hockey but in 1999 specifically the year he retired um he was in a hall of fame class all by himself which is the only instance of that ever happening in hockey wayne gretzky uh, I mean, when you have a nickname just as the great one, that should, should tell you just a little bit of what the excellence you achieved on the ice, on the field, on the court, whatever it is you're playing on the diamond. Uh, and with Gretzky in particular, folks, if, if you're unfamiliar with the nitty gritty of his stacks, of his stats, excuse me, imagine Wilt Chamberlain, but better when it comes to a statistical wonder like he is. I mean, like you said, over 60 individual records when he retired 
something that and records that he still hangs on to. And the other thing that's a little bit different, don't get me wrong, I will still say that the level of talent in hockey wasn't quite what it is now, but still, hockey is a little bit different compared to, you know, it's, again, that's the biggest argument that people give against Will Chamberlain and his records is, yes, they were astounding. I mean, 100 points in a game, that's unbelievable, especially in a time before a a three-point line. It's just something that's absurd. But the level of talent that Wilt Chamberlain was facing do not stack up to even those that played against like Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, Michael Jordan, all of them. Not, Not even mentioning the talent that's in the NBA today. Wayne Gretzky played in an era where talent, it, it's still better today, but it's really not by that much. It's not an unbelievable margin. So Wayne Gretzky is one of those athletes that you could plug into any situation, any team in today, and he would still probably dominate. Just goes to show you how good of a player he is. And like you said, the one of the more influential figures in the sense that People who have no idea, I for the longest time, I know a little bit about hockey now, but whenever I was a kid, I had no idea what hockey was. I knew two uh, two players in hockey, and that was Wayne Gretzky and Sidney Crosby. Uh, Crosby, of course, one of the, the, the biggest marketed hockey players in today's league. But Wayne Gretzky is a name that I've heard as a sports fan for forever. And considering that I knew of him before I even knew the sport, definitely deserves to be pretty high on the list. Another insane like statistical fact is two times in his career he actually scored more goals than he played games. It's unbelievable. Um, what what a stat! <laughs> I mean, like I said, you don't get a name that's called that's just the great one without being well great, and that's exactly what Gretzky was over twenty and also twenty years is outstanding as well in the in a physical the physically demanding sport like hockey and Ironman to say the least and the I mean by far the greatest hockey player of all time I'll definitely have to agree with Wayne Gretzky being the greatest hockey player of all time off the top of your head does anyone know how many uh how many games are in a hockey season I believe it's 80 yeah it's 80 uh, yes it'd be 80 because in uh one of one of his seasons the one the season that he scored the most goals um which is a record. He's the only person to ever score over 90 goals um, in uh, 1981 to 1982 when he played for the Oilers still. Um, he scored 92 goals and played 80 games. Unbelievable. Again, Gretzky, synony- a name synonymous with hockey, a name synonymous with greatness, and a, na- a household name, which... Being completely honest, and I say this as a hockey fan now, there are very few of those in hockey. I mean, like I said, growing up, I knew Sidney Crosby. I knew Wayne Gretzky. Um, I used to play an NHL game back in the day, so I knew a couple of Red Wings players, but I did not know any of the legends. I did not know Mario Lemieux, Mario Lemieux all you know, other legends like that, until I started getting into hockey, or at least getting more well-versed into sports. But Wayne Gretzky... You hear about him from the from the beginning, so really good choice there. Lemieux was also one of those ten that uh, they waived the Hall of Fame time waiting time for. All right. Anybody else with any other um, objective objections or questions? No, I think it's a good uh, good pick to start off on, though. To be honest, um, I do have one question. Yeah. What's um, up? 
when did you say his 20 seasons were? When did he play? He played from 1978 until 1999. Okay. Thank you. Um, yeah, so he actually... Uh, he, he played before then. He played for the, the WHA and the uh, some other just smaller hockey leagues. Um, but it wasn't until the uh, 78... Well, actually, I guess it would have been the 79... 80 season because he was drafted in 78 I believe um, that he was actually in the NHL playing for the Oilers alright good choice to start off Wayne Gretzky the great one as as he is known and we'll be moving on to the next contestant the next contestant providing their player or most influential athlete will be Cam Cam the floor is yours. Alrighty, so I've talked about this athlete before on this show a little bit, and I'm just going to say I chose Tiger Woods for the sole reason that I could sit here and name countless awards and majors and all of this stuff that he won, but the reason I'm choosing Kim is because of the impact that he had on the next generation of golf, not only for just your average player but for professional golf as a whole um i was reading up a little bit on tiger just you know doing research and i'd realized that after he had done so well playing these tournaments that they eventually decided to actually tiger well they refer to it as tiger proofing the course the reason for this is because at this time tiger was hitting it almost 25 yards further off the tee than almost every other professional player so the way they got around this was making the course shorter but more narrow and that's something that tiger pretty much directly caused they were trying to stop him from being able just to outdrive every opponent by 25 30 yards on each hole obviously making a second shot easier so they decided to shorten the course and make it more narrow to make it more challenging pretty much for Tiger Woods, just himself. Another thing is that um, because of Tiger, obviously golf became way more popular as like a sport in the United States, which eventually caused for more TV time, more money to be you know circulating around the sport in general. So that's another thing I want to talk about is the impact that he had doing that, just pretty much making sure that professional golfers now have a good amount of money to work with, you know, obviously generational wealth. And obviously this spans into, there's other golfing leagues now, you know, you have the LIV tour that famous golfers have been signing with. So that's pretty much the reason I'm choosing Tiger Woods for my most inspirational slash, you know, influential athlete on a sport. Just for the fact that because of Tiger Woods, a, golf pretty much became so much more popular and it just expanded the golf world as a whole to like generations to come so that's that's the reason i chose tiger woods tiger we was did, oh go ahead Logan. i was gonna say we did we did talk about tiger um before because we, we were talking about he was one of the most in the united states at least he's one of the most recognized athletes or recognizable athletes in general um to United States sports fans. So that's, <laughs> I definitely think that that's a good choice because um, there are other famous golfers too. I mean, Arnold Palmer, so on and so forth. But like, you know, 
I, I don't think a lot of people, especially nowadays, can really remember players like them. You know, it's one of those things. I mean, like Cam said, especially for the younger generation. I mean, they weren't around for the dominance of Jack Nicholas. They weren't around to see Arnold Palmer, like you mentioned, Sam Snead, players like that. Even John Daly winning the U.S. Open as a seventh alternate. That's something that you know the generations these days did not get to experience. But we got to experience Tiger at his peak. And we talked about it a little bit in a past episode, like Cam alluded to, the most unbreakable record in sports where he spent the most time at the number one overall ranking in the world. There has never been a, an athlete that has dominated their sport quite like Tiger Woods. Because especially in the sense of when you went into a, a week, it didn't matter where it was, didn't matter what tournament it was, didn't matter what the conditions were, you were surprised if Tiger Woods did not at least finish on the podium of a tournament. If he didn't finish on the podium, it was something that just seemed unheard of. That's the dominance that he had for many, many years on the PGA Tour. And like you said, Cam, just having someone that the younger generation could latch on to and consistently get into golf as far as that goes. I mean... Absolutely a very influential figure. Changed the way golf was played because, as you said, they are tiger-proofing the courses. And that's something that you still see on the tour and on any professional golf course to this day. There's a lot more narrow fairways. It's harder to hit the fairways now, especially considering... yeah. And the other thing, too, is Tiger, like you mentioned, was out driving people by 25 yards. Well, now the younger generation has seen the way he's played, has seen his technique, and they're actually replicating that. Now they're hitting the distances that Tiger was hitting. Now they're replicating those types of shots. So a lot of people would think, why are they so Tiger-perfect? Well, because Tiger influenced the entire field to get back to that standard and make it to where Tiger-perfect had to be a permanent thing. So also a great pick in Tiger Woods here. Speaking of Tiger-perfect, I mean, that's... (laughs) It, you know, you know you're special when they have to do special things uh, to make it more fair. You know what I mean? Like in order to have people keep up with you. Like um, they did it, as an example back when Wilt Chamberlain was playing, uh, they had to make a rule to where when you're inbounding the basketball, you can't throw it over the backboard because he'd be the only one that could go and catch it. It was also offensive interference was made because of Wilt Chamberlain. They also end the NCAA had to actually ban dunking all throughout because Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was so good at it at UCLA. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, exactly. That's that's how it goes. If you get your own rules, if you get the entire sport to completely change the main part of it because you are dominating too much, then you're doing something right. And, again, from, you know, Logan, you alluded to it, where he is still one of the most well-recognized athletes and public figures in America. So, for him to still be at that range, and he hasn't won a, a, a Masters, or he hasn't won a Major since, was it 2019 he took home the, the, his last green jacket, I believe? It was 2019 yeah, or 2018. 2018. I think it was 2019 is when it was, and he took home his last green jacket, and I remember, I, I like watching professional golf now. I Back when I, back then, I was, I was kind of indifferent. My eyes were glued to the TV screen to see him come back, so again, can't say enough great pick in Tiger Woods as well. Trev, any comments, questions? Uh, I think Tiger Woods was a good pick for sure. Um, and like you guys said, uh, Tiger Woods is arguably the most popular 
athlete in the United States per people in the United States. Uh, he's the most recognizable uh, because he's so accomplished. And um, I feel like he's done a bunch of commercials and stuff. So Very he's, he's on a lot of things. Um, but also, I didn't know about because I'm not super versed in like golf history or current golf or anything. Um, I didn't know that they actually changed courses so that other people could more easily compete with them. I think that's really interesting. Basically, the only way they had a chance was to change the course in favor of the rest of the competition. You brought up commercials, and I it reminded me of this. Have y'all seen the Tiger Woods where he walks out onto the lake and he hits the um, golf ball off the lily pad? You know that commercial? I don't think Sorry. so. I, I believe it was a PGA Tour commercial, like one of the uh, video games. Mm. He, he hits a golf ball into a, a small little pond onto a lily pad and uh, he like tests the water and then he walks on top of it, on top of the water and just smacks the golf ball off of the lily pad. Tiger's actually going to be the cover on the cover of 2K23, the golf game. It's coming out here soon as well. Coming back. And again, also, you didn't. I'm going to add another point for you, Cam. When you have the entirety of the golfing video game market cornered with your name on it, Tiger Woods PGA Tour for gosh you know 20 years almost if not more then you know you're doing something right there too i was gonna say tiger woods and his brand as a whole is just it's honestly almost comparable to michael jordan's brand not as big obviously but in the golf world it's the michael jordan of golf big partnership with nike and the sunday red is something that will be remembered for all of eternity really all right, so if we have no more objections or comments or questions, we'll go ahead and spin the wheel for who will be going next. The person presenting their athlete will be myself. So, Trev, you'll have to hold tight, and you will be you certainly not uh, – you, you certainly – what? I, I'm, I'm struggling with my words right now. <laughs> Trev's going to have to go last again. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That that's, totally that's, fine. That's, how you, that's how you do it. Um <laughs> not saving the not saving the worst for last, saving the best for last. That's what as what I'm trying to say, anyways. Um, now that I've gotten that out of the way, we'll go ahead and move on to my pick. Um, so I've talked about this a little bit in episodes past. I think that there are times to where we establish themes in this podcast, where you know, in in episodes past, I've been more so leaning towards baseball. You know, Logan leans towards really variety of things, and actually brings a lot of things to the table that don't really come to mind at first and that's always really interesting cam you've actually been taking on a little bit of the golf persona there and trev you've kind of replaced me as you're going to end up kind of replacing me as the baseball guy i think as we go on but i'm actually breaking away from that mold a little bit here i'm going to focus on nba you can probably tell by my profile picture in the top right corner i'm a huge nba fan of course uh the denver nuggets are my favorite team and when they win a championship i might lose my mind but if that ever happens but uh, the player I'm choosing today is actually someone in the modern NBA. Uh, I thought of the, about this a lot. I thought about going with guys like Allen Iverson, who, when I'm focusing more so on the influence of what they did to change the way we see the league, not so much about their performance. I thought about picking Allen Iverson because he was the guy who kind of brought hip hop culture into the NBA. A lot of times, you know, you go back and you watch; it's a completely different league. Now Allen Iverson, he's coming in with his his do-rags and his chains and just bringing this swagger 
to the, the league that we hadn't seen before, and it's caused a lot of players to follow suit. I also thought about Vince Carter. Uh, Vince Carter was just very huge when it comes to an, an influence in basketball in Canada. I mean, you think now about all the Canadian-born players that are huge in the NBA. I mean, you think of guys like Andrew Wiggins, who just won an NBA championship, Jamal Murray for the Denver Nuggets, those types of guys. And Toronto, of course, is actually is, is a contending team every single year, and you can really thank Vince Carter for that. Thought about guys, again, like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who influenced rules in college. But... Uh, None of those ma- none of those matter to me because the guy I'm picking again is in the modern NBA, and I'm going with Stephen Curry. Uh, the 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 stereotype with him and the the marketing ploy that he used with Under Armour was that he ruined the game. hashtag ru- <clears throat> excuse me hashtag ruin the game things like that, and it's true. I think that Steph, when you're talking about purely from how a player plays completely changed the way that NBA basketball is played and will be played for forever. For the longest time, one of the, obviously you wanted to lay it, but one of the most common shots in basketball was the mid-range pull-up. Michael Jordan was the was the pioneer of that. He was the he was the main guy. Dribble, hesitation, crossover, hesitation, pull up, at mid range, and it was perfect every time. You got guys like and today that's very very rare. Demar Derozan is one of the few guys that consistently uses the mid range to his advantage. You still have stars that do it every once in a while. Like LeBron James will post up and shoot from mid range, but it's very rarely used, and there's a reason for that. Before I want to go ahead and say this, of course, if you're not unfa- if you're unfamiliar with Stephen Curry, then you're just not a sports fan at this point. But Steph was drafted in 2009, seventh overall. Close your cover your ears, Timberwolves fans, as the Timberwolves took took Ricky Rubio and Johnny Flynn fifth and sixth, and then Steph went at seven to Golden State, uh, one of the biggest blunders in draft history. Every season since he's been in the league in 2009. Now, you can make the case this may not be directly contributed to Steph, but it ex- this number exploded when he burst onto the scene. Every season since he's been in the league, teams have started taking more threes on average every single year. This past season, there were five teams that attempted over 3,000 three-pointers in a season. It's something that's unheard of, and it directly correlates, or it's it, the data seems to correlate when Steph made this ascension back in 2014 was the first time that he really made his name, ended up making a, a, a little bit of a postseason run, got knocked out in the second round by the Spurs. But next season they go on, they beat the shorthanded Cavaliers, they win it all. Steph wins an MVP. Steph ends up being the only unanimous MVP ever in 2016. Uh and I'm giving you a lot of stats here, and there's a reason for this. Steph has six, and this is something that I, did, I was actually doing some research and I did not realize. Steph has six of the top nine seasons for total threes in NBA history, including the number one back in that unanimous MVP season, which he shot, which he made 402 threes in a season, um, which is still a record, by the way. Again, nine out of, or six out of the top nine performances. The only other uh, players. In that have three or have those three are Paul George with one and James Harden with two. And James Harden shot way more threes than Stephen Curry did. Um, of course, he's the all-time leader, 2,973 uh, threes right now. That number is going to continue growing as we get as he gets a little bit older in his career. He has 10 total games with 11 threes, which is astounding. One game with 12 and one game with 13, which was the record until Klay Thompson broke it against the Bulls back in 2019. 
I that was a lot of stats. That was a lot of numbers I just threw at y'all. But the reason I did that was because the NBA, again, how often do you see a mid-range shot anymore? At, at the end of the day, it's a shot inside or it's a three-pointer. And you have teams that follow the philosophy in the in the NBA. Think back to the Houston Rockets. Live by the three, die by the three. Because analytics say if you shoot well enough, the percentage that you make drops does not drop off enough from a long two to a three-pointer. And realistically, it's three is worth more than two. If you're making a lot of threes, you're going to be hard to beat. Go back. I challenge anybody to go. And, and this is something that directly changes every level of basketball from rec league basketball all the way up to the pros. I've been giving you professional stats as far as what how much three-pointers have increased. But watch any game at any level and think about how many more threes are taken now compared to when it was back in the early 2000s and before that. Again, when you're talking about it in the early 2000s, the, your main three-point shooter was really Ray Allen. You had guys like Peja Stoyakovich. That was, you didn't have these big names, but now... It's almost required that a player has to be able to have some sort of reliable jumper in order to succeed in this NBA because of the way Stephen Curry has changed the game. It also taught guys you don't have to be the six foot eight, six foot nine athletic freak that LeBron James is, the absolute freak of nature that uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo is, in order to be to play well in basketball. Steph, he's I think he it's funny because Steph is taller than people give him credit. Yeah, he's six foot three, so he's still pretty tall. But compared to other NBA players, he's tiny. He he's not this. He's not nearly the size, and yet because of his quickness, because of his pure shooting ability, he finds ways to dominate. And I can say, being a kid watching him run around doing that stuff at Davidson, it's one of those things to where you look at it and you say, "There's actually hope for young or for smaller guys in basketball," and it's actually inspired a lot more people to go and learn the three-point shot and and pick up some sort of reliable jump shot that you can think of. Think about how many stretch stretch fours and and shooting big men that we have in the league today. Big you know the big names, Giannis or excuse me, Joel Embiid, Nikola Jokic, Carl Anthony Towns, the big offensive bigs all have three-point jumpers. That's not something that happened. Shaquille O'Neal made I believe it was two three three point shots in his entire career so knowing what Steph has done again there are better NBA players as far as achievements and statistics go but when you're talking about someone who changed the game and completely influenced how a game is played in this day and age look no farther than Stephen Curry because the entire state of the league the inside shot or three point shot can be directly attributed to to Steph Curry's ascension in the NBA. So I looked up something because I was curious, right? So we were talking about how, you know, three, three, you know, from a math standpoint is mm-hmm. bigger than two, mm-hmm. right? So if we were to think, you know, if, if three is bigger than two and we're taking more three point shots, you would think that um, there'd be more points scored in your average NBA game. And I started thinking back, and I was like, you know, maybe maybe that is true. I, I think I have been seeing higher scoring totals than it used to be, but that's actually not the case. Mm-hmm. Um, the past four years, we've had the average league-wide 
for points scored in a game is was 110 or higher. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay, so it actually has been going up since about around that 2009 era because 2009, the average was 99.6. But that's actually not the case because in the 80s from uh, 1983 until 1986, it was the same thing. That's three straight years of 110 or more. And then if you go even further back from 1959 all the way until 1972, yet again, the league average was 110 or more. So I thought that was interesting to add on to the fact that, you know, the game has changed, but there are things that stay the same. So I thought that was interesting. And I want to point out to those years, you said it was 1983 to 1986 was the other one. Yes. I want to go ahead and mention these are, doesn't it seem strange that these times are directly correlated to people with big moments, with big ascensions? That 1983, that's your Michael Jordan ascension. That's when Michael Jordan started to run the league, and he ends up inflating that point total. And the other thing is, eventually, the league is good enough. These athletes are good enough. They're going to learn how to defend better. When Stephen Curry was coming into the league, there's a my my brother is a huge is a big Warriors fan and the reason is because he was in his dorm back in 2014 watching Stephen Curry drop 54 on the mat, on the New York Knicks and shimmying around as he's shooting threes from the parking lot and it's one of those things as a team we had never seen that before as a team when a guy is stepping up and making those shots you sit there and you think okay how do we stop this guy. How do we defend that? And other offensive players with similar talents will look at that and say, huh, he's making these shots. I know I have the capability of doing that. Let's see if I can start doing that. And then you have guys like James Harden who come in. You have guys like Kawhi Leonard who ends up figuring out, and of course LeBron James. These are these are situations, these are moments where you look at it, and of course the 1959 to 1972, that's Bill Russell. That's Bill Russell, Walt Chamberlain era. I mean, these are guys, it comes down to it revolves around when players are making their ascension and Stephen Curry just from a three-point standard. You're talking, these guys, they they were huge. I mean, again, Michael Jordan was lethal from the mid-range. He really wasn't that great of a three. He ended up figuring out a little bit of a three-point shot towards the end, but he was mainly known for his mid-range game. That was was his bread and butter. That's what he was known for. He was very, very much similar to Kobe Bryant in that sense. But... Again, just from a standpoint, we went through Kareem and Wilt and Shaq even, where your big men were just these bruisers and they had to be rim protectors and everything like that. We've been through guys like Allen Iverson, Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, who were mid-range specialists. But even after they retired, the league itself, the way it played, wasn't changed that astronomical, aside from maybe like a Magic Johnson who kind of broke the mold of small guys don't have to play point guard. But Stephen Curry, again, you look at the NBA, how many teams, you, let's, you know, you look back, and this one's a little bit of an anomaly because Robert Williams isn't the most reliable three-point shooter, but even your, your power forwards. I mean, you go and you look at uh, Grant Williams, for the Boston Celtics, who was a huge three-point shooter for them over the postseason. Uh, Al Horford's a big shooter for them as well. You think about Draymond Green, who can step up and make a three every once in a while. Uh, Go back in years past, too, you find that. I mean, Kawhi Leonard, he's a small forward, but he's played power forward in the past. Anthony Davis, 
a three-point shooter. You have to be be able to have some sort of reliable jump shot in order to succeed in the NBA today. And again, maybe it's just my opinion, I don't know, but I feel like that's something that can be directly attributed to Stephen Curry in the way he played. He straight up changed the game. Oh, yeah, I, I'll, 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 I, sorry, oh, my fault. Uh, I feel like uh, when th- this is a, this is a good example, and this could be for basically any sport. Uh, when you have like one guy or two guys who are really good at what they do, um, that are a little different than uh, the other people in their league. So like Steph Curry, currently best three point shooter. Um, since he was able to basically outmatch everyone else and bring what he has to the table. Um, this is not only like put him in the spotlight um, and he has these records and whatnot, um, but it also uh, makes, uh, like you said, the defense step up uh, and change their game up to defend whatever is, he, whatever it is he's doing, which in turn makes the defensive side of the league better and also, the offensive side of the league are looking at Steph, and they're like, oh, well, he's doing this, and he's doing really well. I'm going to try this and switch things up. Um, also making the offensive side of the league better. So uh, having these great uh, these great players come in, uh, of course, they do really well, but they also make the league better as a whole. In case you were also wondering just and. Just to know the scale of Steph Curry's greatness, I mean, I'm looking right now at the highest all-time three-point percentage leaders, and the way this works is you have to be you have to attempt a certain number of threes in order to make this list. But you know, number one is actually his head coach, Steve Kerr, shot fifty uh, four, excuse me, forty-five percent over his NBA career. But Stephen Curry, again, over almost three thousand total threes in his career. Has shot 42, 43% rounded up, and he's 12th all-time in three-point percentage, taking the amount he has. For reference, the guy who's the runner-up in Ray Allen, uh, Ray Allen shot about 40%, and he's 46th in that total that total percentage. So there's no, there's no question to me, Stephen Curry is the greatest three-point shooter we've ever seen and maybe will ever see. But when you're talking about, again, from... It's one of those things to where you would think maybe this could turn into an unbreakable record as far as, you know, Steph, whatever, whatever his, the number gets to when he retires, you may think, oh, this could be an unbreakable record added to that last, uh, to the past episode. But the way that the league is today, I mean, you go back and you watch that James Harden era of Houston. He's taking four, 13 threes a game or whatever it is. That doesn't happen. Those don't happen. And maybe it does. Maybe analytics guys come in and try to try to change it. That doesn't happen as quickly, and that really, I don't think it happens at all without Stephen Curry proving, "Hey, I'm going to force defense to take two steps up behind the three point line to guard me." It's definitely come a long way since uh, they started keeping track of. You know, I don't. I don't know if this is is um, seventy nine eighty the year that they brought in a three point line. Um, it was right at the middle slash end of the seventies. Okay, because that—that's when they started keeping track of the stats for it, at least. Um, the the three point line that was, let's see, I believe it may have been, um, when they the, the nineteen seventy nine is when 
it was moved. It was it, the NBA adopted the three point line for the nineteen seventy nine eighty season. So you are correct. Okay, so yeah, so it, it's come a long way since then because that first season the three point average was twenty eight percent, and it slowly went down until you get to about the mid eighties, and then once you get to eighty six, it's it's just. 30% or higher. And honestly, it's kind of just mellowed off now from about 2000 till uh, this season. It's kind of stayed roughly that same, like mid 35s, 36 kind of area. And it's one of those things, too. I think that the main reason they brought it in was because the, when the NBA merged with the ABA, the ABA had already had the three point line. And if you go back and you look at stats from that time, you would learn you learn that a lot of the best shooters when the three point line was first implemented were from the ABA because they were used to it. So I, I think it's one of those things too. And it's funny because if you go back and also look at some reports from the time, a lot of people thought it was a gimmick. They thought it wasn't. What's the point of the three point line? We don't shoot from out there anyways. Now. It's the main point of attack for some teams, especially Golden State. And we know about the dynasty Golden State has had over the past decade at this point. So, again, Stephen Curry, I think, as much as it is, you know, a lot of people say, oh, you don't, the, the, the people say like the, the ruin the game stuff gets old. But the truth is, Stephen Curry completely changed the game and how we will continue to play the game. Because the three-point shot is such a well, a, such a routinely used weapon in the NBA today. Cam, I know you were about to say something uh, earlier. I don't know if you still had that thought or not. Oh, I was just going to add on to say that uh, Steph Curry has like a direct correlation to teams not wanting to play a traditional big man anymore. Because obviously, like the Warriors don't try or don't play a traditional big man because they run Draymond at center. So I think that uh, Steph Curry is going to have a direct correlation on teams choosing to play smaller ball, as it's referred to, smaller players on the court. I am going to say, I am going to be biased real quick for one thing. I remember in the playoffs this past year, uh, Denver had the misfortune of matching up with Golden State in the first round. And... Of course, that of course the Warriors made quick work. Five games, it was not close. It ended up, uh, you know, Golden State was it was easily going to win the championship this year. But in the one game that Golden State won, they ended up having a situation. Or excuse me, the one game that Denver won, they had a situation towards the end of the game where Nikola Jokic got subbed out on defense, um, and ended up turning into a situation where Nikola Jokic is screaming from the bench what they're going to do. The small ball lineup comes up with the steal, and they clinch game four there at home. Uh, and the reason I say that is because a lot of fans were flaming uh, the Joker for it online, saying how how could he be switched out in that situation. But I will tell I'll say this: any big man, and that's I'm glad you made this point because any big man in the NBA today gets subbed out in that situation if you have a good coach. Because the Warriors were running a five guard lineup. Not even a, a five-guard, because if I'm not mistaken, at this point, Draymond Green had fouled out of the game. So a five-guard lineup, there's not a center in the league besides maybe Bam Adebayo who can step up and guard a big a guard a, a smaller player because he's not quite the size of a big man. So like you said, a tra- not playing a traditional big, something that the, not only Steph and the Warriors themselves can definitely be the main cause of that as well. 
I'd like to add one more thing um, before we move on. Um, just, and this kind of goes with sports in general. I think a lot of, I think a lot of the way that the game changes is by who your best player is at that given point in time. And the, the only reason I bring it up now with the NBA is because basketball is one of my favorite sports. So it's something I'm a little more knowledgeable in than other sports. But, you know, during the old days, they, there was a lot of inside play, a lot of dunking, because um, it was a lot of center center dominance around that era. Michael Jordan comes in, and like you said, we see a lot of mid-range shooters. Um Kind of around that mid two thousands era, you got like Kobe and Dirk Nowitzki. You see a lot of fadeaway shots from from a high post standpoint, you know. And then when Steph comes in, you get a lot of three point shots. So I think that's kind of it's interesting to see how those different eras of basketball came through, and it comes through in a lot of different sports. There are a lot of different uh, examples of that in other situations in other time periods. So I think it's interesting to have that. You could also add in, like, the dunking era with, like, you know, Dr. J and, like, Clyde Drexler, you know, like the high-flying, you know, crazy dunks, that sort of thing. Right. It, it became more, like, it became Thought smaller. After. Smaller, like, honestly, is what it, it really was because it was previously your your seven-foot guys or your, your six-foot-nine guys. And then, you know, Clyde Drexler, who I believe is six 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 five something like that, playing at shooting guard, comes in and is just, like, <laughs> dunking with his knees on his back or whatever he was doing, you know, it's like now you have point guards like John Morant, you know, Russell Westbrook, the Aaron Fox, the more athletic, you know, slashing type play or point guards. NBA, it's just wild how the league has changed. NBA dynamic is a league as it comes. Um, any other comments, questions before we move on to Trev? Go Trev. All right, Trev, I'm spinning the wheel for you just so that way you can see it on the screen. And it is all yellow, Ooh. all your name. So the floor is all yours. Aha, I like my odds on that spin. <laughs> um, all right. So um, I have went for this podcast, uh, the most influential uh, athlete in their sport. Um, the sport I chose is NASCAR. Uh, not something I'm super knowledgeable on. Um, however, uh, when I was a kid, I watched a lot of NASCAR with my parents. Um, and I uh, am going with Dale Earnhardt Sr. Um, and it's probably not for the reason that you think. Uh, so Dale Earnhardt Sr. Um, was a stock car driver in the United States. Uh, started his career in uh, 1975. I believe I want to make that sure. Uh, yeah, his first race in the NASCAR cup series was in, uh, 1975. Yeah. Um, and his, uh, career was cut a little short, uh, in 2001. Um, he has tons of accolades for various, uh, racing cups, I don't really know the difference between any of them, to be completely honest. I'm not super versed in uh, any sort of stock car racing. Um, however, uh, I wanted to dive into the impacts that he had on driver safety for not just NASCAR, but for uh, various stock car, uh, I guess, leagues. I don't know what to call them. Leagues. Uh, cups, yeah. Yeah, cups. 
uh, stock car cups around the U.S. and other places. Um, so uh, Dale Earnhardt Sr. Um, was uh, driving in the 2001 Daytona 500 back in February 18th of 2001. Um, in this race, uh, on the final lap, on the final turn of the final lap, um, he was currently in third place. Um, he had, uh, Daytona is kind of a wide track. Um, so it's able to, uh, it has enough room to have three wide racing, um, which basically means you just have three cars all lined up, um, from the bottom of the track towards the inside out towards the back of the track where, uh, where the spectators sit. Um, so coming around the last turn, um, he was in the middle of a three wide race for third place. Um, he had, uh, he had currently been in third. Um, so he was just in front of both of the cars to his left and to his right. Um, going around the last turn, he bumped the car to his inside towards the bottom of the track, just a little bit. Um, it turns his, turns his car slightly to the left. Um, and to try to correct this, he turns his car to the right, uh, overcorrects just a small amount, uh, runs into uh, the car towards the upper part of the track. Um, and when, the, when this happens, uh, the car that he hit uh, towards the upper part of the track uh, hits the back of his car. So his car starts to spin, uh, angling towards the outside of the track. Um, and in this collision, uh, both of the cars head into the wall. Um, Earnhardt's car hits the wall pretty hard. Um, and because of this accident, uh, Dale Earnhardt Sr. Uh, died uh, on this day in 2001. Um, uh, I really want to go into the safety uh, safety measures implemented, uh, not particularly because of this accident, uh, but his accident definitely uh, accelerated a bunch of the research for all of this. Um, so one of the big things, um, I'm unsure if it was new at the time, um, but not a ton of drivers were using it. Um, so it's something called a Hans device. Uh, Hans is an acronym. It's H A N S stands for head and neck support device. Um, and basically, uh, it's a part of like the headrest of the the seat that the driver is in um, and it acts like it has a headrest portion itself. Um, it has parts towards the side that actually come down um, and sit on like the driver's shoulders. Uh, and there's also from the back of the headrest, there are two clips that come out and actually clip to both sides of the driver's helmet. Um, and this limits the movement that the driver's head has if it's, if they're in any sort of collision. Um, so it protects them from uh, launching forward if they all of a sudden decelerate really quickly, or if uh, someone hits them from behind, the headrest keeps their head in place, or if they get from the ooh, if they get hit from the side, it just it stabilizes essentially their entire body, um, and this helps prevent a lot of injuries due to whiplash and such like this. Um, uh, in this Daytona 500 race back in 2001. Um, these were not required of drivers. 
Um, and there were only five of the 43 drivers in the race who were actually using this device. Um, Dale Earnhardt Sr. was not one of them. Uh, he was very much against using it. He didn't like how it felt. Um, he felt like it really affected his driving. Um, he did not actually have this on at the time of the crash. Um, but uh, a couple couple races later, um, at the Pepsi 400, uh, same year, 2001, um, it went from five of the 43 current drivers wearing it to 41 of the 43 drivers currently wearing it. Um, it is speculated that if uh, Earnhardt Sr. were wearing this device, um, there's a pretty good chance that he would have survived this accident. Um, and this kind of sent a lot of shock into many of the professional NASCAR drivers. Um, and a lot of them snapped into using this device. Um, big on head and neck safety, as well as just for the entire body. Um, and then later that year, um, middle of October, October 17th, 2001, uh, NASCAR actually stated that these Hans devices were mandatory for any driver uh, racing in the top three uh, NASCAR Cups. Um, another thing that didn't necessarily stem from Earnhardt's accident, um, but the research was accelerated, um, was the SAFER barriers. Um, and SAFER here is another acronym, uh, stands for Steel and Foam Energy Reduction Barriers. Um, these had started development in 1998, um, and they finished development and were placed on the first NASCAR track in 2002. Basically, what these are um, are the barriers towards the top of the track. Um, th the way that they're designed is that they can take collision and absorb a lot of the energy from them, uh, reducing a lot of the force exerted on the car and the driver. Um, uh, this is another big thing that led to Earnhardt's death was whenever he hit the wall, uh, there was no sort of compensation in energy. Um, so his car and his body uh, got a lot of this energy shock. Um, and these, uh, like I said, were first implemented in 2002. Um, and then by 2005, uh, they had been placed on nearly every oval track in the United States. Um, and uh, these also along with the uh, the Hans device, if if both of these were implemented in that 2001 Daytona 500, uh, there's a very good chance that uh, Earnhardt would have survived that accident. Um, and one thing that stemmed directly from this crash was um, it was dubbed at the time the car of tomorrow. And basically it was the next step for safety in NASCAR car design. Um, engineers at NASCAR started development this car of tomorrow, as they dubbed, um, as a safer car alternative to what they were currently driving. Um, Body-wise, it looks very similar. Um, I'm not super knowledgeable on what exactly what body is what. Um, but these uh, these cars were started. They started uh, development and research on these uh, in 2001, 
and they were implemented for the NASCAR Cup Series in 2007. Um, and a lot of the research that they did for these cars um, was to prevent uh, the traumatic crashes like Earnhardt had back in 2001. Um, I want to go ahead and add on something too. Like, like if you go back and you watch the, the Earnhardt crash, which again, I don't recommend just because I, that's not something that people would like, you know, should want to reflect on. But the thing that's crazy to me was realistically sure. And I'm not saying it wasn't, obviously it's a, it's a very bad crash and, things like that, but it didn't look that much different compared to some other crashes back in the day, back in that time. And so it's a wonder that this, you know, something like this didn't happen until it did. And like you said, when you lose a figure that's as influential and as big as Dale Earnhardt was for NASCAR due to something like that, the sheer amount, they changed things that I didn't even know were possible to change in order to ensure better safety for drivers and it's one of those things because of Dale Earnhardt and because of sure it's and because of the unfortunate way that he passed but also just the the athlete and the influence he had from his accolades and his history that's what ultimately led racing to be as safe as it is today Mm -hmm. um I don't know any of the specific numbers or anything um but like you have, you have various sports. You have tennis. You have basketball. You have baseball. And basically, no matter what you do, there is a certain amount of risk uh, to getting injured in uh, however way. Uh, doesn't really matter what it is. Um, but in NASCAR, uh, you're going hundreds of miles an hour um, in a giant steel box. Um, and to me, that's really scary. Um, that's a lot of risk. Um, and the all of the safety measures that they've been able to take in the past 20 years. Uh, is kind of astounding um, that I've, I've seen some of the some of the larger accidents that the NASCAR drivers get in, and they're just able to walk away. It really is fascinating. It's unbelievable. I mean, you'll see a car turn and flip four times going down the, the front stretch, and like mm-hmm. you said, they get out and they look like, oh, what happened? Like it's it's yeah. it is unbelievable the amount of stuff. Like not even to have a bump or a scrape, not to have a broken arm or anything like that just to be able to be like, Oh, well, my car is done, but I'm okay. Like it's unbelievable. Some of the, the carnage yeah. they can go through now. And I, I kind of uh, extra safety measures they've gone through. Obviously it's sad what happened, but they, they pretty much add a new safety measure each year. As you were talking about how they were introducing a new car during that time, they had, uh, they introduced a new model of car this year for NASCAR. I keep up with NASCAR a little bit. So, they uh they've introduced a new car this year, which obviously is supposed to make it more safer. So that's a that's a good thing. I mean, they change things like I like I said that I didn't even know were possible to change or make even better. And that's again going all the way back to Dale Earnhardt's influence to where it it, it would be the equivalent to, you know, Dale Earnhardt was the LeBron James of NASCAR. He was that type of and you know he came before LeBron, but like that, that caliber, that notoriety to your sport. I mean, that's who Dale Earnhardt was. And so to lose a guy like him off of a freak accident, yeah, you're going to make some changes and you're going to make them fast. And so uh, I, I agree wholeheartedly with this pick too. I mean, this is something that 
the amount that NASCAR has changed since everything happened is something that is as unbelievable. If you if you don't believe me, go watch replays from back in the eighties, back in you know in the nineties when it comes to NASCAR, and watch a race now. Completely different ways of racing. Mm-hmm. I want to add. Like, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, um, I was looking at a little bit at some different articles while you were talking about just different articles about the death of Dale Earnhardt. Um, they did an experiment that <clears throat> sorry they did an experiment where they uh um had sleds and they tried to recreate the tra the crash with similar results um and they said that the resulting crash the effect on the driver would have been equivalent to about six anywhere from 68 to 48 uh g's of force which is uh, the force of gravity so one g is just like standard gravity and you know that that at the lower end 48 times um if i'm not wrong would be the equivalent of hitting a wall at 1052 miles per hour it's um um, uh, yeah. yeah, you got a physics major here. He'll figure that out. <laughs> I'm unsure if that math fully tracks. So, so yeah, um, that, that's that what forty that forty four G's is so much force. It's crazy. That's more force than uh, uh, the astronauts uh, are under whenever they launch from Earth. Yeah, it says it says mile per hour second and then mile per hour minute. I didn't know which one to use, um, so I just went with second. You, not only you have a physics major, physics major and a guy who works for NASA here, so he he knows all about G force as far as that. Yeah, and for, you said it was are we talking 40, about the movie? He said it was forty six. <laughs> it was four. It was anywhere from sixty eight to forty eight. That is unbelievable. Like mm-hmm. just and, and and something so fast too. It's just and again, you know, it just looks so. It looked routine for that time, and so for that for. Drivers to have to endure that type of thing, and now Dale Earnhardt's was obviously a freak accident, was something that was completely different. But like a lot of accidents looked very similar, so you have to think mm-hmm. they were going under similar circumstances. But it took what happened to Earnhardt for them to finally make a change. Yeah, and there's uh, so many safety measures uh, currently in place. Um, like I said, the the new barriers. Uh, actually squish like a whole bunch to take a lot of the force of the accidents that hit that outside wall as well as the cars themselves are designed to squish more so that the car itself also uh, takes a lot more of the impact so it doesn't get transferred to the driver Um, it really is fascinating what they're able to do uh, to just make this to me extremely dangerous sport as safe as it can be to me about as dangerous of a sport as you can get really mm-hmm. uh cam logan any other comments questions before we get to voting i think that's it's definitely a situation of you know a freak accident happens to the one of the greatest to ever be in the sport and everyone's like oh if it can happen to him then it could definitely happen to me it so can happen to anybody I mean, yeah it's definitely a good thing that they've got better safety measures now I just appreciate the fact that uh, NASCAR got brought up. It took a while, but we <laughs> finally got there. Representation. We're getting there. Up, next, right. is, up next is curling. Hey, hey, hey. Curling is awesome. It is. Saying. No, I, you, I, think, you I, think I'm like, kidding. No, you think I'm joking. 
Curling is one of the only reasons I watch the Winter Olympics yeah. because it's just so freaking awesome. You think I'm joking? No, I, I brought it up for a reason. No, fun fact: I actually, I actually looked up where the closest like gym we could actually practice curling at is. <laughs> it's at the closest one is in Atlanta. So road trip. Uh, yeah, pack can it we, up. Pack can it we up. Have a, can we have a podcast episode where we go curling? I mean, we can certainly try. Listen, <laughs> hey, we get enough snow and ice here. We can make our own curling rink if it comes down to it. Well, we'll make our own rules. <laughs> All right. So for a refresher, for those of you on Twitch and for those of you watching on Spotify or YouTube, uh, Trevor goes with the late, great Dale Earnhardt uh, Sr. I have taken Stephen Curry. Cameron has taken Tiger Woods. And Logan has taken Wayne Gretzky. Um, so we have some motor racing, basketball, golf, and hockey representation. As is customary, if I could have everybody send me your votes over Snapchat, I will take them into consideration and we will spin the wheel to see who will be revealing their votes first and, and what order. So the reason we do this again, we had co-champions for all four of us last week, but hopefully that won't happen again. And the reason we're doing this is just so that way, Votes don't get influenced by who votes. Everyone has went ahead and submitted their votes, so I have it locked down. So, revealing their vote first, it will be Trevor. So, Triv's vote will be the first response, and it will go to Cam. Cam and Tiger Woods. Trev, would you like to explain your reasoning and why you chose Tiger Woods as the most influential athlete? Yeah, so also stuff that I learned today, because I'm not super versed in golf. Um, the big reason that I chose uh, Cam's argument with Tiger Woods is that uh, Tiger Woods literally changed the golf courses. Like, they changed entire golf courses and the holes for him so others can compete for him. I compete against him. Um, and I just think that's wild. Um, like if you had a baseball player that was so good that they're like, oh yeah, left field, left field fence. We're going to push that back to like 450 feet on every stadium. <laughs> and you're like, whoa, <laughs> so, just like that fact is really fascinating. I think that's really cool, which is why I, I threw my boat to Cam this week. Create a modern day polo grounds. If you've never seen polo grounds before, <laughs> Jesus Christ, what a ballpark that was ever played. And I wish it would come back, but one just, vote. Just, Go ahead. I was going to say, it's like, it's like just deciding that you don't want any more home runs in baseball. So you just <laughs> you just make, you just make the outfield 600 feet. You just got to make like. it to where only Jorge Soler in the World Series can get to hitting it out of the park in Houston. <laughs> your, lineup, your lineup is now 11 people, five people in the outfield. Yeah. <laughs> so one vote for Cam and Tiger Woods. We are going to go ahead and spin to see whose vote will be revealed next. And it will be myself. So, a lot of good. Uh, and again, this I say this every week, and this is a good thing. A lot of good, a lot of good options here. Uh, Logan, when you're talking about Wayne Gretzky, this is a guy who, in when you're talking about from a from an accolade standpoint, quite possibly the greatest resume in sports. Uh, not necessarily as as brought up. As some others, like you, when you hear greatest athlete of all time, you think of guys like, again, um, 
a lot of people come immediately go with the LeBron James versus Michael Jordan debate. You've got guys like uh, Tom Brady who get thrown in there. The, the major name sports, but Gretzky doesn't get enough credit. Uh, Cam, Tiger Woods, I've talked about it on the show before, how, my, how influential he was for me getting into uh, golf at a young age and continuing to have a passion for golf at the age of 24 that I am now. Uh, just, uh, you know, cannot be stated enough how big of an impact he had on myself and the other generation. And Trev, from everything that Dale Earnhardt did, both on the track and unfortunately off the track, it's something that NASCAR is safer than it ever has been. And it, I would say ever will be, but they're consistently making upgrades. They're consistently making advancements. When without that unfortunate circumstance, they may have never done that. They may have never, you know, found that next step. Um, and it's like I said, it's unfortunate that Dylan Hart Sr. had to give his life for that. But it's one of those things to where the 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 they wanted to make a rule in case something like that. They wanted to make it to where not something like that can never happen again. Uh, and. It, it, it takes a special kind of person, a special kind of influence in order to do that. But in the end, I have to give my vote to one person, and my vote will be going to Cameron. Cameron, you, you hit a you hit a soft spot with me. You know you know this by now. Uh, golf. If you if you pick a if you pick a golfer, I'm going to uh, you know I, there's a good chance I'm going to end up ta- uh, you know leaning towards it. And there's got to be some really really. I mean, unbelievable heaters for me to not pick it. But Tiger Woods, I mean, like we've said, one of the most well-known athletes in America, in American history. I would say not even not even just you know current American, but American history. He is one of the most well-known uh, well-known athletes, and really one of the more well-known public figures in American history. So it's one of those things to where everybody knows him. You know him from, and everybody knows the Sunday Reds that he wears, the Nike partnership. Trev, you talked about his commercials and just his brand. I mean, Nike he's been with for forever at this point. The Tiger Woods brand is just instantly uh, recognized. And just the level of play that he had over the years, it's something, once again, that I don't think uh, can ever be replicated in golf, and it's something that I remember fondly looking back as a kid. So Cam with two votes going into the final two votes, and we'll see what ends up happening. Cam has at least clinched parts of a championship so far, and Cam will be the one revealing his vote next. I have his vote right now, and it will go to myself and Stephen Curry. Cam, why'd you pick Steph Curry? I'll be honest with you. I completely agreed with everything you said. Steph Curry, I think, changed basketball more than almost any other basketball player when we're talking about the game itself obviously there's been countless basketball players who have influenced and you know done their part but Steph Curry as a whole just genuinely changed basketball on every single level of the sport I mean you could go from little league to middle school to high school to college and it's complete it's a completely different game just because of him obviously now you want you can go into any rec center and you have kids solely practicing their three-point shots i mean it's not even like uh you know how we would throw something into a trash can and you know people would be saying kobe now it's you know people will drain a three and you know do their little curry slide or whatever so that's the reason i chose this one it's just steph curry did 
changed basketball forever. So I thought it was a great pick. The shimmy is something that is done by a lot of players these days. And again, just from the and plus the cultural standpoints. I mean, like you said, I, I heard I saw a tweet the other day that said he a, a person knew they were old because they heard a, a teenage kid when instead of saying Kobe when he shot a ball in the basket and the can he, they yelled Curry. And it's one of those things to where he is completely changing that culture as far as the as far as the NBA goes. So uh, one vote for myself and Stephen Curry, two votes for Cameron, and we've spun the wheel. It lands on Logan. Logan will be uh, Logan's. So, I would like I would like to say it's interesting how you spun the wheel and you got the reverse order that we just did. It is it is crazy. I was thinking the same thing just a second ago, but. That's it, you can watch the VOD, you can watch it exactly that, um, and Logan, it's the it, yeah, it, it's it is opposite. These wheels, they they don't follow the same performance, I guess. Um, yeah, so um, you know, there were a lot of great picks today. I think we've we've come a long way since episode one, um, and it's you know getting kind of all together or learning more about sports in general. Like, you know, I didn't know anything about, I don't know anything about golf for the most part, like, uh, you know, until we come on here and I get to learn more about it. Like, you know, best I've ever done in golf was I, I played putt-putt and I had like five over par one time, um, but that's about it. Um, but my vote, as Blake can contest to, is for Trev. Um, I think his point was, so we all, the three of us, me, Cam, and Blake, we all kind of brought up for the sport as a whole, like show, someone showing greatness and how they influence the sport. And, and I think Trev's pick is interesting because he not only picked someone that was great for the sport, but um, the point he made was someone who's who was gr- not only great, but came in and had a tragic accident and forever changed the safety and how we view safety in that particular instance. So that's why I give my vote to Trev. And so with that being said, Cam is our champion for the week. He has two out of the four votes as, and as well as myself and Trevor picking up a vote each. So as is customary, I am going to transfer the reigning champ role in discord to you, sir, as well as you will be bringing the topic of discussion for next week's episode to the show next week. Um, yeah, this, this was a great episode. I think we all had really good points. We all had really good choices and it was definitely really, really hard to make a decision, but cam ultimately gets the majority. It gets more votes. So with that being said, uh, that is going to do it for episode eight of taking heat. I'd like to go ahead and say thank you to everybody out there on YouTube, Spotify, or Twitch if you've stuck out, if you've stuck around to watch the live stream. And if if I'm here in uh, my apartment, I do plan on streaming these episodes in the future. So follow the Twitch channel Nugget Station Twenty One, and yeah, you'll get notified. It'll typically be Wednesday or Thursday whenever we record these things. So be sure to keep an eye out. As for Spotify and YouTube listeners, once again, we will be uploading this typically on Sunday about sunday morning monday morning in that area so be sure to keep an eye out for that for those of you that are in the with county area or you want to hear some broadcasting i'm just going to go ahead and give this plug in this week on friday 
it'll be Roll Retreat and Fort Chiswell. The high school football in Southwest Virginia will be kicking off on 95.3 WXBX, and myself and Logan will be on the call. So if you'd like to check in, check out some local high school football, you can do that at threeriversmedia.net or on 95.3 if you're local to the area. I just wanted to go ahead and get that out there. Um, Be sure to check us out on Friday night. And for the rest of the cast, again, we will be back for the the show next week. Um, And whatever topic Cam brings to the table, he will be looking to defend his crown. Any last comments, questions, or anything like that before we sign off? Goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Keep it breezy. (laughs) Stay classy, San Diego. Um, Yeah, so that's like I said, that's going to do it for us here on episode eight. Again, I I hope you enjoyed what you listened to. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, or any suggestions for us down or a topic for us down, leave leave it below in the comments on the YouTube channel or just reach out to us on social media. Those social media profiles are in the description on the YouTube video. So for myself, Cameron Woolwine, Trevor Tidwell, and Logan Porter, my name is Blake Holmes. Thanks once again for tuning in to Taking Heat, and we will see you next week. Have a great week, everybody.